Hey, dear saints, you're listening to Preaching Christ Crucified on Double-Edged Sword. Sermons from Pastor Kilgo, preached at Redeemer Lutheran Church in Lawrence, Kansas. We pray that as you hear God's word, you would be strengthened in faith and love and rejoice in the joy of the Lord's promises and kindness. In the name of Jesus, amen. Dear Saints, the season of Epiphany, which is what we're currently in and what we're concluding this week, uh, is entirely focused on the manifestation of Jesus' glory, and particularly the manifestation of his glory as the Son of God, God himself in our flesh to redeem us. That's what everything is focusing on. Um, That starts all the way with the Epiphany itself on January 6th, uh, which is the commemoration of the Magi, the wise men coming from the east Uh, in order to worship Jesus and bring him these gifts of gold and frankincense of myrrh. It continues then with all of the different events, all the different uh, uh, accounts that we consider during the season of Epiphany. Uh, We have, for example, uh, the wedding at Cana that we've had and the baptism of of Jesus himself in the Jordan River. Uh, We have also, depending on how everything lines up, you get also uh, Jesus teaching in the temple. Last week, you had Jesus healing the leper and healing the centurion's servant. If Epiphany is a little bit longer, because it's one of the seasons that can contract, depending on when Easter falls, then you also get uh, Jesus calming the sea and Jesus teaching uh, the parable about the wheat and the tares. And all of this is confirming the same reality of Jesus' glory, particularly his glory as the Son of God and God himself. And that comes to a head with the transfiguration of our Lord. That's why the transfiguration gets set on this day in the liturgical year. Uh, It turns out transfiguration... Um, way, way, way back when it initially was uh, commemorated uh, was somewhere more around the um, August time frame. And uh, pretty early on, it gets moved then to the end of Epiphany as kind of the capstone of the season, which makes sense. You've got Jesus shining in all of his radiant glory, and this would be a wonderful way to cap off the season of Epiphany, which is what we're doing today. Now, that brings us to the question, what's actually the purpose of the transfiguration? as the Lord gives it to us. This is where having it be in the season of Epiphany can be maybe a little bit misleading, uh, particularly if we don't understand what all the miracles and the glorification of Jesus are actually about to begin with. Uh, So we might just ask the question, is the transfiguration of Jesus to set forth Jesus' glory? Sort of. Yes and no. It depends on what you mean by that. If you mean Jesus if the point of the transfiguration is Jesus on the mountain shining really brightly, that's actually not the main point of the transfiguration, as, we, as we're going to hear. Um, it is manifesting Jesus' glory, but it's manifesting Jesus' glory in the fact that he's God. That's, that's the, the connection. Is, it, um, is the transfiguration, this is one of the, the other things that comes along with it, is it uh, to give Peter and James and John this sort of like, literal and figurative mountaintop experience with Jesus? And the short answer of that is no, it's not. Um, We do not lack anything uh, in comparison with Peter and James and John. In fact, we have something greater than they do with Jesus not being in front of us manifest in this way. But this, this brings to a head this sort of tension with the transfiguration because we're tempted in, in a couple of different directions with it. We're tempted on the one hand to think that uh, if 
if we could just experience these same sort of things, then, uh, then our faith is going to be strengthened. If Jesus would show up here one Sunday and transfigure himself before us and be shining bright, and we've all got to put our sunglasses on because it's too bright in here now, then we would be more blessed. Our faith would be strengthened. Our love for each other would be strengthened. And that's, that's not true. We are not lacking anything when it comes to the faith with not having Jesus transfigured before us. Or, kind of connected to that, but in a larger sense, if Jesus were to come and transfigure himself uh, on a high peak somewhere, like he'd come to Lawrence and transfigure himself on top of the Campanile, then all of Lawrence would be converted. That's also not true. Uh, it's also not what Jesus does. We, sh we shouldn't look past the fact that Jesus only takes Peter and James and John with him. And none of this is ultimately the, the main thing that's going on in the transfiguration. What's going on in the transfiguration at the end of the day drives us to this, this idea, which is called the eyes of faith, that seeing isn't believing. And this is this theme that flows throughout all of the scriptures. You see this, for example, when we talk about the rich man and Lazarus, that externally, it looks like the one who is blessed by God is the rich man, and Lazarus has been forsaken by him. But when they die, and they're carried by the angels to the bosom of Abraham, the actual reality is revealed that Lazarus is the one who has been blessed with the greatest gift, and that's of faith. And he dwells eternally in the eternal dwellings, and the rich man is in eternal agony. And we know how the story goes from there. We also have this when Jesus comes uh, to Thomas after his resurrection. Uh, he shows up the first time, and it's just it's the disciples without Thomas. He shows up the next week because Thomas said he won't believe unless he sees Jesus, and Jesus gives this corrective. Do you believe because you have seen me? Blessed, rather, are those who have not believed. Or, let's switch that. Blessed, rather, are those who have not seen. You should believe. And have seen. I still didn't get that right. Let's try that again. Blessed, rather, are those who have not seen and have believed. There we go. Third tries the charm. And this is, we don't walk by sight. We walk by faith. And we walk by our ears, not by our eyes. Because faith comes by hearing. And this is true in all these different aspects of the Christian life. Uh, we can look at, for example, marriage. That the Lord declares in marriage that the two will become one flesh. Well, here I am up here, and there Michelle is over there, and we're not like physically joined at the hip. So how do you know that we are one flesh? Because God has said it. We know it by our ears, not by our eyes. Or that baptism, that the Lord gives us all these great promises in baptism, that he saves us, that he clothes us with Christ, that we are redeemed, that we're made as children. Uh, what you can't see that externally. Uh, take, for example, you baptize a baby and you take them back and they're like screaming in the, in the pew because they're all wet now. It doesn't look like they are a redeemed child of God in that moment. The reason why you know they're a redeemed child of God is because you've heard it and they've heard it. When you come to the altar and you receive Christ's very body and his very blood, you know that you're receiving his body with the bread and his blood with the cup, not because you see it. It's not because the, the wine's red. In fact, there's this great kind of history of uh, Germans in a certain area. They, they were accused by the Reformed of saying that the only reason you think that it's Christ's blood is because it's red. And so the, the Lutherans kind of did their hold my beer moment, and they said, well, then we're never going to use red wine. We're going to use white wine because it's still fruit of the vine. That's what the command is. But it's still Christ's blood, even though it doesn't look like it. Because we don't walk by sight. We walk by our ears. 
This is also how we deal with things like suffering in this life, where, where the Lord tells us that suffering is a light momentary affliction, preparing for us an eternal weight of glory that is beyond all comparison, as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. So in the midst of our suffering, we are directed not to actually look at our suffering, but the thing that our Lord is preparing for us in the midst of that suffering, eternity, and no suffering in eternity. And Jesus himself is this way. Now, outside of the transfiguration, Jesus doesn't really look like much. He's, he's a carpenter. And in fact, this is one of the accusations that, uh, that comes up of Jesus. Like, who, who is this guy? How is this the Messiah? He doesn't look like anything, which is, in fact, the prophecy about him that we hear, uh, particularly during Holy Week, that he has no form or majesty that we should behold him and no, uh, uh, no glory that we should desire him. He externally does not look like God. But we know he's God because we've heard it. All of this is what the transfiguration is ultimately about. About hearing, not seeing. Ironically, because the transfiguration is this great moment of sight for, for the disciples, but they're very confused by the sight. And so God gives the corrective that this is about hearing, and St. Peter who is there, and so we should probably listen to what he says about the transfiguration, also tells us this. This is the epistle reading. For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received glory and honor from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased, we ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. St. Peter is telling you, I was there, I was at the transfiguration, I saw it with my own eyes. And so you're like, well, St. Peter, tell us about that. Tell us what you think about that. <laughs> we have the, more, the prophetic word more fully confirmed, to which you would do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star arises in your hearts, knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. I was there at the transfiguration, and you have something better. You have the scriptures. That's what St. Peter is saying. He's saying we, we were there, and we beheld this, this great event, and we heard the voice come from the majestic glory, saying, this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. And we're not making this up. We're not following cleverly devised myths. We are telling you a true and certain reality. And that true and certain reality pales in comparison to the scriptures. The light of Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration does not shine as brightly as the scriptures themselves do. Luther makes this same point. He says uh, that the scriptures are like our a, a light akin to um, a lamp set next to the sun. Uh, in modern day, we can say this. Uh, if you went outside right now and you tried to shine a flashlight on the ground, it's not going to work very well because the sun is too bright. And this is the scriptures in comparison with all other books, but this is the scriptures too in comparison with Jesus' own transfiguration. They are the brightest light. They are the thing that enlighten everything, including us. They are the things that bring us faith and eternity and forgiveness 
and love and peace and all the various gifts of the Holy Spirit. This is also what Moses and Elijah are doing there, if you've ever wondered about this. There's maybe just a little side note on this. The reason why Moses and Elijah there are to confirm the same reality. Because the thing that Moses and Elijah have in common with each other is not that uh, necessarily they're both prophets, or that Moses, sometimes you get this kind of weird thing that Moses is the giver of the law and Elijah is the preacher of the gospel. That's also not true. Uh, Moses preaches the gospel. Elijah gives the law. Um, they, they do both. What's the commonality? Both of them go up on the mountain and speak with God. And here they are on a mountain talking with Jesus, who's God. And what are they talking about? Well, Matthew doesn't tell us. Luke does, though. They were talking about his exodus. They were talking about his going to the cross to die for the sins of humanity. That's the conversation that Jesus is having with Moses and Elijah, that the disciples overhear, the chief conversation. This is what everything's about, it turns out. This is what all the preaching of God is about. This is what the transfiguration ultimately ends up being about. Because when the majestic glory speaks from heaven, he says, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased, but he says something else. Listen to him. Hear his words. And what are those words? Well, we just look at both sides of the transfiguration in Matthew and see exactly what these words are. Right before, from that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed, and on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But he turned aside and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan, for you are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but things of man. Jesus preaches, I'm going to go to the cross and I'm going to die in order to forgive the sins of all humanity and on the third day be raised. And then he is transfigured. And then right after the transfiguration, here's what he says. As they were gathering in Galilee, Jesus said to them, The Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him, and he will be raised on the third day. And they were greatly distressed. Now they're distressed because they're not listening. They, they, they have the same temptations as the rest of the, the Jews around him, that they think that Jesus is there to be a Messiah in some other form, but that's not true. They're not listening to his preaching. They're not doing what the Father has said. Listen to him. This is why Jesus is here. This is what his words are proclaiming. He is going to be delivered in the hands of sinful men. He is going to be killed, and he's not going to stay dead. He's going to be killed for your justification, be killed for your sanctification, your salvation, and be raised for your justification. And he does this because of his love for us. This is what he's proclaiming. He does this not for himself. He doesn't need it. We do. And because he loves us, he dies. And because he loves us, he is raised. And because he loves us, he ascends. And because he loves us, he preaches to us. He gives us his words. So that we would be strengthened in our faith, strengthened in our love, and that we would eventually inherit the eternal dwellings. And he preaches this to us constantly. This is, this is the wonderful thing. Words, it turns out, can go a lot of different places. A lot more than physical things can. 
And this is the entire structure of what we gather around week in and week out. Every time the church gathers, it's around this at its core, God's words. The liturgy, God's words. The hymns, God's words. The scriptures, God's words. The sermon, hopefully, God's words. The sacraments, God's words attached to the elements. And every time he preaches to us, he is delivering us all of these gifts that come with these words. And in that, we can be more sure and more certain than if Jesus were to pop in front of us physically. That's what the transfiguration is about. That we have the more sure, more certain word that shines into every dark place, regardless of what's going on, so that we would always be encouraged by it always strengthened by it, always forgiven by it, always redeemed and sanctified by it, until the fulfillment of those words comes on the last day when we are raised to eternal life with him. And then, then we will see him face to face. In the name of Jesus, amen. The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Thanks for listening to Preaching Christ Crucified on Double-Edged Sword, sermons by Pastor Kilgo at Redeemer Lutheran Church in Lawrence, Kansas. We'd like to invite you to join us for church, Sundays at 10 a.m. and Wednesdays at 7 p.m. We also have Bible study at 9 a.m. on Sunday mornings and at other times throughout the week. Please visit our website at redeemer-lawrence.org for more information. Thanks again for listening, and we'll catch you next time.